Aloha and welcome back to the SAPFM podcast. This episode is brought to you in association with Starboard. Starboard has a long history in board design, with Sven Rasmussen entering the windsurfing market with innovative designs back in 1994 and building the brands to become market leader within a decade. The brand was quick to see the huge potential of stand-up paddling, and while focusing on reducing their own environmental impact, have continuously strived to produce the best boards and the best paddles for all abilities. And you can find out more about Starboard through their website, which is linked to in the show notes. This week's beginner's tip comes with thanks from Ian Berger from the Hudson Valley H2O organisation and a huge respect for his initiative, which I've linked to in the show notes. But I'll let Ian introduce himself. Hi, this is Ian Berger. I am the executive director of a paddling nonprofit on the Hudson River called the Hudson Valley H2O or HVH2O. Our mission is to get people who wouldn't normally be able to afford paddling and get them on the river and get them to enjoy nature and also um, teach them about the river environment and how to preserve it. Uh, we are based in Peekskill, New York, which is right at the base of the Hudson Highlands. My big tip for beginners is to keep your arms straight. Um, when I see beginners paddle, I always see them with bent arms, and they're always using their arms and their biceps to paddle. My uh, tip is to keep your arms straight, and that forces you to engage your core and to use your whole body. You have to bend over to get your paddle into the water. You have to bend your knees, and that really engages all the muscles that you want to use to... Uh, uh, to get a strong stroke. Okay, that's it, and I uh, hope to see you guys on the Hudson River. I'm delighted to welcome today's guest onto the show because Sarah Thornley, who's also known as Sup Junkie, has done an absolutely awesome job furthering the sport of SUP and SUP racing, particularly in the UK, through her live streams, her articles, and through participating in the sport. And she won the ladies' 14-foot national series. So she became British champion in 2017 at the age of 58, which is quite remarkable. And uh, we talk in this episode about her ongoing love for the sport and furthering and supporting others. And there are some great pieces of life advice in here, particularly about having a go, even if you're not entirely ready. Because if you don't take a chance, then you'll never know. So here's Sup Junkie herself, Sarah Thornley. Hey Sarah, welcome to Sup FM. Thank you so much for having me. I've been watching you guys for many years and listening and I'm really thrilled to be on. So thank you very much for the invite. Anyone who has followed the sport over the last few years know you as Sup Junkie and uh, you spend a huge amount of your time writing articles and doing commentary for UK series Sup Races on live feeds but where was it that you first discovered supping and just tell me a bit about your first experience. Well I'd been watching a girlfriend paddleboarding and she was one of the first people to paddleboard in the UK and I just every time I saw her photo or talked to her about it I was sort of intrigued I suppose so I just went to her club and had my first lesson it literally was you know paddleboard in the water stand on it, no kneeling, and off you go. Obviously, we had a very good safety briefing beforehand. And that was with Brian Johnsey, Blue Chip Board Store. He's probably one of the first people who had uh, stand-up paddleboard in the UK and did the first race, or one of the first races. And I just put my feet on the board and just was sort of excited by how it felt. Maybe that took me back to my childhood and, you know, maybe standing on something in the water a long time ago. So I, I just joined the club and I think I bought a board immediately, a red paddle inflatable, which we've still got. And I just started joining them on their weekly paddles and just fell in love with it. It just felt like my sport, which I think is uh, other people will appreciate. So that's that's sort of where I started. I didn't realise where it you know, lead me to, but here we are. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah, I, I absolutely share your sentiments on that. I had a had a similar experience it just gets its claws into you it's it's quite remarkable obviously uh, in the best possible way so that was your your first experience you, you headed out with blue chip 
thing. And then that developed on into to racing. Now, that's quite a development for a, a leisure paddler. How did you get into that? Again, very quickly, um, did some racing a little bit. And she was more into endurance, actually. But she did, I think we did the British Sub Club Championships. I think that might have been my first race, which is a bit crazy. It's almost better, isn't it, when you don't know what you're doing? Uh, and I just loved it. And she said, you know, have a go. And I didn't realise quite how competitive I was. And she said, look, hold back from the front line. It's going to be very choppy. And I think at the end of it, I enjoyed it so much. Racing around, I think it was Eaton Dorney as well. I was quite impressed with the venue too. And I got some medals for age categories and maybe being on an inflatable board. And I was just really excited to get those little wooden medals. I thought, wow, I've won something. I think that's quite thrilling. So I think about a week later, I bought a race board (laughs) because I realised that uh, maybe not a week later, I think I'd gone and raced with Base Up as well on the sea. And again, that was, you know, talk about throw you in at the deep end, quite gnarly waters. And it was a battle of the paddle style running out on the beach, absolutely exhausting. And I was the last person to come in, but bless them, they'd all waited for me. And I got a big cheer and I think I won a paddle as well because they did a raffle. And I, again, you know, winning stuff is, people say it doesn't matter, but it's quite nice when it happens when you're first involved in a sport. So, yeah, I bought a, I bought a race board and that was it. I was just got stuck in, really. So you did all of that on your race? I did a bit of racing on the red board because that's what I had. And But I, being quite competitive, I realised very quickly that, I might have to have a carbon race board. So again, I bought a secondhand star, but all star still got it, still use it, love it. Absolute classic. And that, that particular year, I'm not sure which year it would be maybe 2011, 12. And it'd been ridden by some pretty good um, paddlers and it, it really is a classic. It's great for downwinding. It's just, it's just a, a good all round board. So I bought that and then just, I had a bit of a hitch for a couple of years. Having planned to race the next year, I had quite a severe operation that was quite a sudden thing and quite life-threatening. And I think after that, you know, again, it made me think I need to get on with my life and get on with what I love. So it made me more determined. So I did a couple of – I couldn't obviously do much for about six months after that, but I did a few races at the end of the season, I think on my new new board. And – the next year, again, I had the same sort of issue. I had health issues over the winter and couldn't do anything again, maybe more determined. So I had a couple of glitches for a couple of years and then just really decided that was it. I needed to crack on and, and get on with the racing. And, that you know, the UK SUP, as it then was, was very welcoming to new paddlers, people who'd never raced before. You just felt included in this sort of, you know, warm envelope of care and, you know, they would just really encourage you. So it, it it sounds quite scary, you know, being a sub racer or any kind of racer when it's your first experience. But when you've got a really decent group of people who love their sport and love to encourage newcomers, then it's not such a big deal. So I've made some amazing, amazing friends. I'm sure like you have in the sub world, you know, they're, they're all a decent bunch, seem to be a decent bunch of people. So it, yeah, I, I just got stuck in. So I raced for five years and I the the 14-foot class, which is what I was in, it was just the board that I bought. It was quite a small field then. It wasn't like it is now. Everybody sort of transitioned over. And we were a small group of ladies who were, you know, racing against each other with quite a small team, quite bonded, I suppose, because of what we were doing. But there were a couple of girls in who, you know, in there who were pretty fierce, and I probably was the oldest person racing at that time in that category. And I, I remember a friend saying, you know, who's your nemesis? And I said, oh, it's Christine Anderson. She's a proper water woman. I mean, years on the water, windsurfing, every kind of water sport, never beat her. And he said, oh, you mustn't be defeatist about it. I said, I'm not. I'm being realistic. She's an amazing, you know, paddler. But in 2017, with just a bit of luck and doing every race possible, I think I did 16 races in six months or something. I was determined to really sort of crack it that season. And it ended up with me just putting myself out there, a bit of good luck, a bit of bad luck on her behalf and others. And I won the national championship, which was 
quite incredible. I think I've appreciated more now I've stepped away from it, maybe. But I was, yeah, thrilled. And it was against girls who were half my age. And yeah, I, I'm I'm more proud of it now, I think, than I was at the time. I realised that it was pretty cool to do that at aged 58. <laughs> I mean, that that is absolutely amazing achievement. And, and just to re-emphasise, that was independent of age category. So it just goes to show that you know, if you get in there and you really give it a hundred percent, you can achieve anything. Absolutely, and I really, uh, really appreciate and acknowledge that more nowadays, and and really sort of want to push that, especially for women. I think get to a certain age and feel that you know it, it, it might be too tough. I don't think it is tough. I think get out there, and if you're fit, and you know you you can have a go, and just have a go. <laughs> That's my mantra. Just have a go. And you mentioned. The atmosphere, you know, within the team, the organisation and the encouragement. And it's definitely something that's a characteristic, I think, still, despite the fact that it's transitioning now into more of a mature sport and, you know, mass interest. There is that sort of underlying Aloha type attitude of inclusion. And, you know, you see it all the way through from the professionals. Do you still see that? I know you've been doing a few UK races this year, but is that still there? Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. And I'd almost say it was even more so now. There's a new team at GB SUP, or there was a new team that took over in 2018. And again, as before, very inclusive. I mean, we have people messaging, I have people messaging me all the time and quite nervous and want to have a go. And we've now got what is called the challenge tour within the racing scene. So it's something where you can get involved, but you don't have to race. So you can still be part of that lovely spirit and atmosphere but there's nothing more encouraging than seeing a top racer like Marie Buchanan or Ryan James really encouraging those um, people I was going to say youngsters but they're not all youngsters on the start line or answering a question that may be a, a fear or there is a really lovely community out there and I think it's stronger than it ever was because people have really become very very passionate about the whole sub industry um, yes, yeah, so I think absolutely yes. It's certainly something that, that I see and something I think we, you know, have a responsibility and certainly anyone who puts any content out there around SARP tends to follow that whole aloha, that supportive mentality because I think it's something very special. I've been involved in a number of different sports in my time and it's not always there. So even in competition, that's quite an indicator of the sort of mentality and support that runs through the sport. So in, in terms of your journey, you mentioned that you won this incredible accolade. What was your sporting background beforehand? Because um, I know that you joined SUP relatively recently, but did, did you have any sports to rely on before you started training for this for sup racing no <laughs> in a word <laughs> no I'd always been pretty fit I'd always been to the gym I was you know I was a mother I've got two very grown-up children so I, I you know that sort of dominated my life quite a long time and I wasn't I should have been sporty I've got the sort of physique for it but just didn't maybe a bit lazy don't know and when I was racing I certainly didn't race like they do now with all their training schedules and you know garments and everything I, I just got on and just trained and raced basically so no sporting background as I say went to the gym kept fit did a bit of horse riding did an odd year of um, bodybuilding which made me incredibly strong and fit um, and that's a bit of a, a strange one but that was back in the 80s so um, a little bit of a while ago I suppose I was just quite fit mm. Um, but no competitive sporting background at all. And again, I think that, you know, that should be encouraging for others as well. Just get out there and have a go, whether you've got that history at all. Just have a go. So what was it that led you to stop racing? You had had that incredible success, hadn't you? I had, but within that, having done so many races, and because of my operation, which was a sort of stomach operation where they cut straight through my muscles, so obviously they needed to knit back, and I, you know, it, it's taken a long, long time. And because of that, I got lower back issues, which when you've got a windy day on Lake Bala or somewhere else and you're trying to race and twist your body and obviously hold your core, your core is so important in racing, as you know, and paddling. And it just gave up on me at the end of the year. It just said, no, not doing any more. Stop. 
<laughs> what have you done? So I just took some time off because I'd done all those races and I won and I just thought, okay, let's have a month off and start the winter training again. And I tried to start the winter training again and it came back. So I thought, okay, well, let's give it a little bit more time. And then the little bit more time went on until about March. And the first race of the season was always the head of the dart. And I just knew I wasn't going to be ready. And I was sort of gutted, but sort of not. And I just said to my husband, do you know, I think I'm going to retire. (laughs) And he said, I think you should defend your title. I went, no, I think I should retire. (laughs) So I just retired. I just stopped. But it was lovely because I then worried about missing all those people and all that lovely community and how how was that going to work? Would I just pitch up as, you know, as a previous winner and just be there? But Mark Price from GB Sup said, look, you know, can you get involved in the events team for GB Sup and just be a meet and greet, talk people through the racing if they're nervous, just be a friendly face. And, you know, Anthony joined in as well. And I just thought, oh, that sounds really lovely. And I think after the first couple of events, I realized how lovely it was because I had all of the loveliness, but none of the pressure of racing and the angst and worry about it. So it really, that really filled a gap. And it, it was really lovely to be able to do that, still be involved. And Sup Junkie was born out of that. Sup Junkie was born out of that. A couple of months later, I think, I think someone had said something to me on Facebook, a comment like, oh, you're all over this SUP business. And I did a hashtag SUP junkie. And as I wrote it, I thought, oh, that would be a really great name for a T-shirt brand. Or So I bought the domain name, just pop, popped it in my little domain name fold, folder. Didn't really think anything more about it. But the first event that I did for GB SUP as, as on the events team was our own club race, the Battle of the Thames. And Mark Price was going to do the first live feed for GB Sup, so he'd really got into it. And obviously, we'd been watching Chris Parker, you know, Sup Racer, doing it for many years. And I used to watch him and just love, absolutely love his natural comedy, uh, you know, but great commentary as well. And really sort of looked up to him as as someone, but never thought that I might be doing the same. And I had historically taken photos of paddleboarders as well. I, I love photography and. When I couldn't race for those couple of years, I just went to the events and took photographs because I loved it. So I'd always had that. So I said, well, why don't I do the photographs for Battle of the Thames? And I got in a boat with Mark, who was going to do the live feed, and he sort of introduced me. And we just, for that race, were a double act. And I really enjoyed it because I knew all the paddlers. I could talk about them with a little bit of authority as to what they'd won or who they were, their club. and. I just really enjoyed that interaction with Facebook Live and the comments that came back and you could, you know, talk to people on, you know, live and I loved it. And I just thought, oh, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's what I can do again. And I think the next event, Mark said, oh, could you, I'm going to do this with someone else. Could you uh, do some interviews? I was just like, what do you mean interviews? What what do you mean? (laughs) I can't do that. I've never done that before. So he sent me off to find a paddle because he sort of invented this paddle mic. Uh, so a little little microphone on a paddle, and it's sort of become GB Sup and Sup Junkie's trademark, I suppose. Long before Chris Parker used it, actually. He always had other things like a baguette mic, which was quite funny. So he sent me off to find a paddle, so I came back with a paddle, and, and I did some interviews. I just talked. I suppose talked to the paddles that I knew, talked to them about racing, and it was okay, but I really loved the live feed. But then I started, uh, so then I went back, the person that Mark had done the live feed with really didn't enjoy the whole chatting and being so uh, visible, I suppose. So he said, you know, will you come and do it again? So I was like, yes, please. And I think he then had to go off and do something else for GBSAR, you know, busy man. So I ended up taking it on. But then a couple of friends said, you need to make Sup Junkie into a thing. And I said, what? what sort of a thing? I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. You know, not very sort of business minded or I'd retired. You need to make it into a thing. So we looked into making it into a thing and something that was happening that year, which was very exciting for all paddlers was that the APP tour was coming to London. So this was in 2018. And a very good friend of mine, 
Andrea, who is a Nash rider and, and very close to the APP tour and in conversation with them about logistics, said, I'm going to put you forward to be the GB media team. I was like, oh, really? You know, we, we don't really know what we're doing. <laughs> anyway, she did. She wrote to Tristan and put our names forward and there was a lot of yeses coming back, very positive. But of course, they have their own media team. We did go. That's a little bit further down the line. But yeah, so for GB Sup, I just started doing interviewing all the lovely paddlers. Again, the Marie, Marie Buchanan's paddlers who we didn't know, particularly new paddlers. And at every event, I would try and interview as many people as possible. It depended how long I talked for on the live feed. You know, sometimes it's just too much and you just can't do it. So the live feed was the most important thing. But I just realized how much I loved that. And that was very, very exciting to see parents of paddlers who were paddling and, oh, please, can you give so-and-so a shout-out? And you literally could shout out their name and say, your mum and dad are cheering for you. And I think that's really exciting. It is. You, you get that direct contact. I, I avidly followed your live feed for one of this year's races, which was down on, on Bournemouth Beach and really, really challenging conditions down there. All abilities there. but even Absolutely. Even the experienced paddlers were finding that one really difficult. That was a tough race. Bournemouth always throws up its challenges, and that was lovely in the morning for the uh, distance, but the technical in the afternoon, I mean, it was better that it was, you know, more challenging for the technical. But, yes, we had a lot of swimmers, mm. uh, a lot of swimmers. There was an interesting side chop, side tides. Yeah, very interesting racing down there. And, you know, all power to those new people or people who've never done it before you know a lot of inland paddlers as we know that don't just don't get on the sea and it it's a big thing so I, I just think you know good for them for getting out there and having a go but yes it was a challenge <laughs> talk to me about the APP because obviously that was where Sup Junkie was launched and there were some really big names there you, you were chatting to just uh, give us a skinny on on that event Absolutely. So having not really had our sort of media status confirmed by Tristan, quite rightly so, being nobody's, we literally bought, the, you know, got some T-shirts printed up. We'd come back from holiday on the Friday morning. We'd been on a surf trip with Blue Chip and we came back on the Friday morning, had a quick turnaround and packed our bags and went up on the Friday evening. And that's how sort of casual we were about the whole thing. We'd got our gimbal, we'd got our iPhone, we got the paddle mic, and that was it. And we got the t-shirts. And we just went up into the sort of world of the unknown. And I think we saw Tristan pretty quickly and and just said, oh, are we all right just to be involved? And he said, yeah, just crack on, just get involved. And when you don't know, you know, if you have to have an official tag on or, you know, you, if you don't know, almost it's better because if you don't know, you just crack on with it. So we went to the race briefing and we stood in a room with all the people that I so admired being a racer. You know, there are people who are your absolute heroes and you've watched them for five, six, seven years and been so impressed with them. Suddenly you're in a room with them. And we just stood very quietly in the corner, just watching and listening to the race briefing and just being very respectful of what was going on. But as we came out, we found Yuka Sato, who was, you know, the sort of almost like the it girl of 2018. And we grabbed her and said, could we have an interview? So she was our, she wasn't our first celebrity. Oh, sorry, I shouldn't use the word celebrity. Athlete, top athlete. Casper had been, had had that because we've met him a couple of times at UK NISCO events and which is the one design racing and we'd done live feeds there throughout the summer and had the pleasure of interviewing Casper actually at one of those events because he's you know a Nash rider so that was lovely so we knew him but Yuka was our first lovely lady a little bit of a challenge with the you know the language but she was so delightful and so sweet uh, I think we took her for dinner after that you know they, they're sort of you know, they're, they're out of their home countries and they're floating around and it must be quite a strange life, I think. So the next day was the big day or the next two days were the, were the two big days. And actually, UK NISCO were up at that event as well. So we, we covered that first for them on the Saturday. And then we sort of ran around getting, I think all the athletes were off doing the long, long distance on the River Thames. So they weren't sort of around. 
actually the first person on the Friday night when we walked into the hotel who was just checking in was Kai Lenny. And I just, you know, he, he is a real hero of mine. I'm sure he is for many paddleboarders. And I just had that sort of, or oh, do I go and ask him for a photograph or do I not? Uh, of course I do. So I had a, a selfie with him, which was lovely. So j- just talk us through Nisco, because you mentioned it's a sort of single class, a single board. Sure. Well, Nisco is is part of Nash. So UK Nisco is a one design board. It's a 12.6 by 30. You all race on the same board, whether it's your own Nisco board or you can hire them. And the events have uh, been run by Alex Tobbert in the UK. And it has been a huge, huge success. When it first started, they used to run three events. And it's, well, I'm sure you know from events, it's really hard work to get an event off the ground. But what it is, is everybody racing on the same kind of board. So it sort of almost levels the playing field. And in the past, top racers in this country have sort of poo-pooed it a little bit. It's just an inflatable, but get them on it and they realise how tough it is and how tough the racing is. And it's great, great fun. There's a lot of racers in this country who started in within that series and then they transitioned to GB Sup. And they have it, it's either held on a, on a day or over a weekend. And it's a really, if you think GB Sup has got a family vibe, then UK Nisco has got even more of that vibe. It really does sort of snuggle you up in this great big hug of, sort of love and care and you know it's just it's just wonderful and you have sprints which oh sorry about that little bit of noise there you have sprints which are the best best fun so 10 people on the line racing up to two boys you can go either way and then come back and of course there's lots of you know bumping and whatever going on at the you know the boy turn it's great fun to watch and you generally get get three sprints per per racer depending on where you finish up you will get points then there's a technical race which is usually about 3k and that involves being on a bit of water with boy turns and again it will be the whole fleet going off so it could be 50 riders all going off together in quite an enclosed space and then you have the long distance which is about 5k so bearing in mind you've got three disciplines and then the points are just added up and, and you become a winner or not. And they do all the age categories, which is wonderful. And it really is a great place to start your racing career. There's a lovely, lovely lady who's now racing for GB Sup very successfully, Karen Greener from Northern Sup Race Team. And she started at the UK Nisco. And I remember seeing her and she was really very, very scared, intimidated. She'd only been paddling for about three weeks, but had been encouraged to come and have a go. And she was terribly nervous. But I remember speaking to her and just saying, look, just have a go. Just have a go. What What's the worst that can happen? I think other people said that to her as well. And throughout the disciplines of the day or the weekend, she blossomed. And she then went on the next year to win the GBSUP NISCO because GBSUP have their own NISCO uh, One Design class uh, field as well, who race off, as well as the 14-foot and the 12-foot-6. And she won She won the overall, and she's really come on in leaps and bounds and the confidence it's given her. But, yeah, she, she's really – so it, it can do that sort of thing to you. It's a wonderful, a wonderful place to start. So do look it up, you know, on social media and follow it because it's great fun. And is this uh, something that is done in other countries as well? I mean, I know it's particularly prominent in the UK and I've heard a lot about it because obviously that's where we both are. But uh, do you know if there's a sort of international uh, championships or if it's been adopted in any other countries? I think it has, but I don't know where. But I sort of want to say somewhere like Japan have done the NISCO. I know we used to have a, a Japanese guy who used to come over to do the UK NISCO a few times. He would make the effort to come over. And I do know that there's another one design series being run by SIC Maui, I think, are doing their own. But I think that's on a hard board. But all, all paddlers on the same board, which oh, it's just great. It's just, it, it just opens the opportunity for anybody to win. Absolutely. And, and a great place to sort of cut your teeth, as you say, and uh, and to learn those skills that, you know, particularly that mass start, which uh, yeah. you're dealing with that that sort of chop and, and wash from other boards, you know, paddling in the same space. You know, that's a real fundamental skill, isn't it? 
Absolutely. And yes, we, we I think on with the UK NISCO, we have had a hundred, hundred on the start line. So that is uh, quite exciting to watch. There's some great photos on, on the Facebook page as well. Look back at the sort of history of racing and, and the photos that are on there because you'll get a you'll get a feel of not only the fun, because there's some great sort of candid shots of paddlers and but also the the feel that goes off. But yes, it's great fun. And I think being on an inflatable, you just feel not so much pressure. A lot of people are concerned about bumping of carbon race pools, even though that's done all around the world with the top races. They don't think about it. They just get on with it. But I think with an inflatable, you're less likely to worry maybe about your board. So, yeah, get stuck into Nisco. It'll be back next year. Fabulous. And and just taking you back um, to the APP in London. So you spoke um, to Kai Lenny and uh, we had him on our first season. I think Nick chatted to him when he was on the Euro tour. Did you get to, to interview him and who else did you manage to speak to? Yes, Kai was the last interview of the weekend, actually, and that, that was very exciting. So, oh, Michael Booth twice, I think, Casper, Lizzie Carr, who I'd met for the first time, which was really interesting because it was all about plastic, you know, it still is about, you know, how we look after our world and picking up plastic. And it was really nice to meet her there. Obviously, our own paddlers like Marie Buchanan and Holly and Ben Pye. Kai Lenny was my last interview, and I, we p- packed everything away, and we were actually watching his film that had just come out. And he was sat behind us with his mother and father. And I just said, oh, I wish I'd, you know, I wish I'd interviewed Kai Lenny. And my girlfriend just said, do it, do it now. I said, no, no, he sat there with his parents. You know, he's resting. No, no, do it now. So <laughs> out came the gimbal, out came the phone. And I just thought, okay, well, I've got to maybe play this a little bit differently because I felt, I felt a little bit rude interrupting them. Anyway, I just introduced myself and I just said, talked to his mother actually and I just look I'd love to talk to you about your son and how you how you let him go off on those big waves and how it feels to be a mother and she was very gracious she said no 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 you need to speak to Kai she said so he he was very gracious and I think I had my longest interview to date most of our interviews are sort of minutes long you know they're sort of snapshots and I I don't really plan what I'm going to say or what I'm going to ask I just roll with it and how it feels on you know in that moment and he was very gracious. I mean, obviously much more experienced at being interviewed than I was at interviewing. And, and we came away with what I think was a really great interview. And, you know, how amazing to interview that man, you know, in that, in that situation and that. And then a couple of other people that I interviewed just saw a guy on a, on a jet ski whizzing around, big, you know, big sort of Hawaiian looking guy. And I thought, well, he, he looks quite important. Let's try and grab him and he he was very gracious said you know would you like to in you know I said can I interview he said of course of course you can and but you need to interview this man as well Bo Hodge and 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 the guy that I interviewed was Anthony Vaila who I didn't actually know who he was and I didn't actually know who Bo Hodge was but they were again incredibly gracious very obviously they know their stuff but when I got home and googled them I was quite pleased that I didn't know who they were because they are massive in the sub world. You know, Anthony Baylor is a race director, you know, for he, he commentates and he's part of the ISA and the APP and Bo Hodge, the same, you know, massive interviewer reporting. So again, you know, quite, quite a coup really, but without knowing it was a coup. So we just, I think we came away with about 30 interviews and just got stuck in. We had, because we had matching T-shirts and we had this sort of paddle mic in our hand. And Anthony was brilliant. He just ran around finding people. And uh, there was another, if I can just tell you another funny story about that particular day. In the afternoon, this was at the Royal Docks in London, which is an enclosed space. And that is there where they were having the sprints and the technical race. And the technical race was just about to happen. So I thought, okay, well, all the guys are going to be on the water. We can maybe have a break. And Anthony said, why aren't we filming the technical race? And I said, well, because they've got a media team to do that. He said, well, we should be out there on a boat. So he ran over to talk to a guy who was on a safety boat and said, can we jump in the boat? And he said, yeah, sure thing. Come on, come along. <laughs> so we jumped in the boat and he said, where do you want to be? And I said, well, not near the other media boat, thank you. We don't want to sort of step on their toes, but anywhere where we can see any action. So we were really lucky and we did a live feed and bless the APP. It's happened a couple of times, actually. They really struggled with their 
I don't know, internet connection, perhaps it got too much power. And a, a couple of times we were the only people doing the live feed and pe- friends of mine were sending people over from the APP to Sup Junkie, which was quite exciting. And then halfway through the race, the media boat came over to us and they'd run out of fuel on their boat. So they had to commandeer our little boat. So they all jumped on, sort of pushed us to the back. We respectfully, you know, held back. But it did mean then that we were right in the action and we were right in the end of the race where they went in, you know, next to the arch and seeing those winners come through, Michael Booth, Casper, Kyle Lenny coming through, the Hasulio brothers. And then they stopped their boat and interviewed the winner. And we were on the back of the boat and I was like, Casper, come and have a And because he knew us, he came and had a chat. So, again, just putting yourself in a place and a time and things happening. And I think that's a bit of luck. But also, you know, Anthony pushed for us to go on a boat and that's what happened. So I, I think that's, you know, it's a nice little bit of our Sup Junkie history. So Sup Junkie was well and truly born on that weekend for sure. Well, it, it sounds like it. And there are themes in all the things that you've talked about, which is essentially having a go, you know, following your passions and also a healthy dose of, of ignorance can be <laughs> so getting a bit of momentum. Certainly, I've had that experience. But Sup Junkie has gone from strength to strength. And we talked about some of the of the live feeds you've done this year and things have been somewhat restricted on the racing front due to COVID. But uh, you also went out to to China, didn't you, to to do some coverage? Yes, again, a real sort of have a go moment. We've been covering the uh, qualifying races at Base Up that year and we knew that those who qualified would be going to China. And, you know, how exciting for a I was going to say, again, a young paddler, but they're not all young. They're some of them in their 40s who travelled out to China. How exciting, you know, to cover that race. And there was a young man over from Spain, Ben Morham, who's a British guy, who came to qualify for Great Britain. And his parents were, or his mother had come over, I'd met her, but his father was online as the live feed was going on. And please, can you say good luck to my son? And again, being able to do that was really exciting. So we covered the race. We sat in the boat with a photographer who was... David Ferguson from Jersey, who I didn't know, but was the manager, newly appointed manager for the team going out to China. And we covered it and watched the likes of Marie Buchanan, Ben Pai, Aaron Rowe from Jersey, all qualify. Really, really exciting race. End of season flat for the Flatwater series as well. So we had a bit of a party afterwards, lots of funny, funny interviews after that. But on the drive home, Anthony just said to me, I think we should go to China. And I just sort of looked at him and said, I think we should too. <laughs> so again, having, you know, Sup Junkie had only been around for a couple of months and already we were, you know, looking at doing something um, quite crazy. So I emailed David Ferguson, the manager, and I just said, look, this is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we feel. We could help the paddles from the UK. We would love to cover them specifically. And we could do some interviews beforehand to let the public know who they are. Obviously, there would be a huge amount of fundraising going on and could we help with that? And he just came back and said, you're on the team. And it was quite a sort of surreal moment, I suppose. But in the next three or four months were crazy, not always in a good way. I remember, um, I've said this before, sitting at the kitchen table with my head in my hands saying, I can't, I, I can't do this. What, what were we thinking uh, because it was, it, it, there was just a lot going on. There was, you know, as I say, doing bios on all the paddlers. So there were 12 of them just to bring home who they were to the British public, promoting them all the time, trying to help with fundraising, flights with 14-foot race boards, absolute nightmare, getting to China, pretty much of a nightmare for all paddlers, actually. And then, you know, a week before hearing that the food was rubbish, there was no health service, you couldn't get water, and just being quite concerned about the whole thing. We we didn't manage, we didn't do any fundraising for ourselves, so it was a self-funded trip, which we were quite happy to do. But, you know, we got there with the team, and we knew, we probably knew three-quarters of the team anyway, So, and we got to know the others very well after that. And we went, and one of my first experiences was Anthony Vela sat there 
and said, hi, sub junkie. And I was like, oh, well, <laughs> he, he, he remembers who we are. That's really lovely. And we had the best two weeks of our lives. The food was amazing. The water was plentiful. The people were incredible. The paddlers were lovely. Again, we met amazing paddlers. I got to interview, one of my last interviews was with Candy Sappleby, who I really, really look up to and admire. And it was a great event. And I think we did a pretty good job. Challenges were internet connection, but we did live feeds we or we recorded we saw some amazing athletes and racing and our team were incredible at one time we were I think we were lying eighth and I think we finished in 10th position but we were just able to and I think what we did for the paddlers was take the pressure off them for having to be on social media for a lot of the time because they knew that we were doing it so we really bonded with most of them and had the most amazing trip and it was something that I will I think we'll both remember for a very very long time and we saw some old buddies out there like Casper and it it just was amazing absolutely incredible and and a wonderful place to visit as well having ne- never been to that that area what an incredible experience so so bring you back to the UK paddle scene now what are the the blue ribband of events and obviously we're, we're talking at a time where things seem to be opening up a bit but there's a huge amount of uncertainty and the last 12 months have been massively disrupted in terms of the, the key british events if there's anyone listening to this who wants to come over and compete and take part in some of these races which are some of which are in the most stunning locations in the uk which ones would you pull out as the key uk races Well, I think uh, if someone's looking to come over, I'd say definitely look at the GB Sup National Series to start with, because we have a a formula, we have, you know, a a group of races. There have been six, there'll be seven this year. So three flat water, three oceans. So you can choose what you like, what is your speciality. And then we've got the sprints coming up at the beginning of um, September, which are really exciting. That's a, a collaboration with British Canoeing. So all done very officially and they've invited us to come back again which is very exciting so for me some of the top events would be not only because it's my club race but the Battle of the Thames it's celebrated its 10th year anniversary this year obviously should have been last year but that event has been going for 10 years it's a slog it's 10 miles Uh, most of the races are done in kilometers and most are sort of 10 kilometers obviously that's that's in our series you get endurance and other lengths in, in other races. Base Up is wonderful just because of the location. So Bournemouth Pool area, very, very beautiful sandbanks. And again, this year we were lucky enough to have the two races on one day. And then Carbis Bay. I mean, how, oh, how, how much more beautiful could, could a place be? Having been there, it was our second visit this year. It is absolutely stunning. And I know that Quite a few years ago, they they were part of the Euro Tour, and I can absolutely understand why. It is absolutely stunning down there, and the people who who run the event are the most sort of very relaxed. They may not be underneath, but they just have this very sort of relaxed vibe about them. So it's a it's a wonderful, wonderful event, and stunning, stunning place. So right at the bottom of Cornwall, down near St Ives. So. I definitely say that was one of my one of my top three. And then you could look at, you know, if endurance is your thing, you could look at endurance races. There's a new race that was held this year on the Norfolk Broads called the Paddle Skedaddle, which I think was about 26K. Unfortunately, we couldn't go this year because we were busy doing something else. We'd like to go uh, next year. And that's obviously the Norfolk Broads, which is the little bit like the 11 cities, I suppose, incredibly flat, which then creates its own problems of wind a bit like the 11 cities. So I think they would be my my top, you know, a city race, which is, the, you know, the Battle of the Thames and then a lovely ocean race, which would be probably Carbis Bay. Mm. And Carbis Bay was the venue for G7 meeting this year. That's correct. Yeah. Really stunning location. So just looking over to, to British paddling and British racing, who are the movers and shakers at the moment? I mean, in the, on the female side, Marie Buchanan has been quite amazing for so many years and a really lovely personality. And we've still 
to get her onto the, the show here, which hopefully we can put that right this season. But who else are the, the movers and shakers from a, from a sort of a female racer and then a, a male racer point of view at the moment? Well, I'm glad you mentioned Marie because she's one of my, my top female paddlers ever, I think. She's been threatening to retire for a few years now, but she keeps coming back. And I think this year in particular, she's she's come back with a massive smile on her face. I've never seen her so relaxed. I think she's been out there, not so much training on a race board, but having fun, you know, on the wing and the foil. And I think that sort of restoked her passion for racing. And she's just up there. She She's, well, she's unbeatable at the moment. She has just actually... It's not officially been announced, but she has won the Flatwater Series and the Ocean Series at GB Sup this year. She's done two races, and you have to uh, win two out of three races, and she's done that already. She smashed it. So she is our double champion again. So Marie is just unstoppable, really, and she's been paddling for, I don't know, 13, 14 years, competing for many of those years all over the world and is a delightful personality. So, yes, I think you definitely need to get her on. She's, you just need to keep nagging her a bit. She's, she doesn't sort of blow her own trumpet, but she's a really lovely girl. Ladies after that, gosh, Anna Little, who hasn't managed to race this year, is awesome. Andrea Richardson, who qualified for the sprints a couple of years ago, unfortunately couldn't go to the ISI, ISA Championships at that time. Holly Pye amazing. Sonia Brotherton is a new one who's only been padding for a few years, but you know, there and thereabouts. Ginny Betts, who is great on the ocean, again, not paddled this year, but they are fierce, some of these girls, and they train, train like crazy women (laughs) and, you know, have all these training plans and are just out there. They are, I wouldn't stand a chance these days. They are fierce. So they're my, my girls to look at. And Gosh, the guys, again, another young man who a couple of years ago won one of our championships. And I can't remember whether it was the flat water or the ocean. But anyway, he was a junior then. And I was suggesting to him that he stay in the junior class, you know, make the most of that junior class. Oh, he didn't need to. He smashed everybody. And and this year he's done the same. Again, he's won the flat water overall and the ocean out of two races so he's won both of those series he's he's our series champ and he is incredible at the Battle of the Thames we were in a lead boat this year and we had to suddenly put our foot down because he was catching us up and he left the field and I think in two races this year he's won by a margin of seven minutes wow now that is insane I mean he was talented before but I think he's just been working out and just matured. I think he's 19. He is definitely one to watch, and I can't wait for him to get stuck into the international races and see him against an international field because he will give a really good account of himself, absolutely. And then you've got Bruce Ironsmith, who, you know, is just an incredibly talented paddler who just gets himself out there and paddling like crazy training hard and it pays off you know it it does pay off to train hard and have that passion who else gosh who else I should know but my mind's gone black all I can think of is Blue Ewer Ryan James is still out there gosh Ryan James again another another man who's been paddling for many many years loves the ocean doesn't really want to be paddling on flat water anymore thank you very much (laughs) but he is Again, he just keeps pulling it out of the bag. And there was some incredible racing down at Base Up with him and Blue and Ben Pye. Ben Pye is another one who has sort of had time off of the race board, I think, but has been doing some fun things with the wing and the foil. And and just it's really sort of stoked his passion again, a bit like Marie. And he's he's up there. You know, he's still up there. He's a, he's a young man like Blue. And I'd love to see those guys again out out there against the international field. They're my top three men, I guess. Ryan is still up there, still training every day, but having a lot of fun with it. Does a lot of cross training with the OC outrigger and and just still enjoying it, really. So all all power to him and people like Marie. He was still doing it. And yeah, Blue Ewer, watch, look out for Blue Ewer. Absolutely. Fabulous. And, you know, what you said about uh, Marie, you know, I think 
the uncertain times that we're living in at the moment, you've got to take your positives where you can. And certainly the opportunity to just recharge and uh, and refocus. And, you know, I see a huge amount of posts. She, she was just having a fabulous time yeah. winging and wonderful, wonderful photography and that sort of recharged, ready for, for the next phase. Just mentioning the, the current uncertain times, one of the, the characteristics of unlocking last summer, and obviously we're seeing it this summer as well, is the huge growth of stand-up paddling of, of all forms. And part of that is the female involvement in stand-up paddle. It, you know, it's a very democratic sport and there are some quite incredible female personalities involved in it what's your impression of this huge sort of mass participation and, and particularly uh, female participation in SUP? Well I'm I'm glad you mentioned that actually because I'm I'm very passionate about the female participation when I joined my club there was my friend who introduced me to it, and that was it. It was all male. She then stepped away, and I was the, the only girl paddling with a group of maybe 20 men, and it didn't bother me at all. But now we have a – it might be a 50-50 split, actually, at the club. And those girls, they need a different kind of level of nurturing than the men do. A lot of men will get on – you know, they get on with it, just have a go, get stuck in. Females, ladies do not, not all of them, some do that. I was very much sort of get on and have a go. But a lot of them need a little bit of care and time with their teaching and their encouragement. And especially if they are a little bit older. And there are a lot of, you know, that's the time almost when you can afford to take up this sport, when your children have grown up. And you can afford, you might have a bit of income that you can afford to have your own board, a bit more time on your hands. And, you know, if you're of a certain age, and I hate age to be related to anything, but it it's a fact. And, you know, what people like the lovely Jo Mosley is doing with her motto, we rise by lifting others, but very much pushing that female, older, slightly older female who, who wants to have a go I think it's I think it's lovely and I do female only classes at Blue Chip and all the boys are like, Oh, we want to join in, why can't we come and play? And I said, Well start your own group, you know, get your own group going. But of course they don't because they don't like organising stuff. <laughs> Bless them. <laughs> they want the ladies to organise it for them. But we just recently had a, a group who needed to learn how to rescue and self rescue. We'd had an incident at the club which really brought it to us that we need to really teach teach people how to do this practically. Obviously, we teach them how to do it verbally, but we are on the Thames and not everybody wants to get in the Thames, but it's really important that we teach them how to do that. So we have a, you know, a ladies-only group and, and they they really look after each other and encourage each other and some of those were quite nervous. Some of them were, again, maybe had health issues or they just need that extra care and attention. But I just love to see the rise and rise and rise of it being a female sport, not female only. I mean, there are so many men out there doing some incredible things at bench paddling. Maybe we can talk about that later. But I think it's brilliant. It, and it's a very accessible sport, isn't it? For and, and I think with what's gone on over the last 18 months, you know, blue therapy, people have realised how much we need that in our lives at the moment and how therapeutic it is to get on the water and I think maybe a lot of ladies have decided that this is the way to go and 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 they realize what it gives them in terms of just looking after their mental health which has become such a sort of big buzzword hasn't it over the last couple of years and uh, yeah blue health blue mind we've got a couple of episodes coming up talking expressly about that, which we are hoping to get out in in season four. But uh, you know, you mentioned about a, a couple of things there. So, so one is about the, the sort of supporting others element, and certainly you have, and and your ethos behind Sup Junkie is about that supportive nature, and and you've been hugely supportive, particularly around some recent um, UK initiatives, Jordan. Um, 
Brendan paddling around. Just just tell us a bit about the contact you've had with those guys and some of the other things that you've been involved in. Yeah, well, we we very qu- quickly realised that we didn't want Sup Junkie to be a business or to you know make any money. We, it's that's not what it's about for us, and we didn't want it either to take over our lives. We realised you know we had one year where I just didn't paddle because I was doing Sup Junkie, and I thought that's not that's not what I'm here for. So we really very quickly put Sup Junkie in a in a medium sized box and thought that's where that's where it's going to stay. But what we've done recently is basically been supporting others and that's where my heart lies I suppose it's not it's absolutely not about us it's about supporting others and if those people are supporting others themselves like Jordan fundraising for others Brendan then let's support them and just push them all the way if I'm going to make a post let's make it about someone else or share other people's posts and stories and incredible adventures and Jordan bless him I've got a huge soft spot for Jordan I met him He's a paddlelogger ambassador, um, and I'm a paddlelogger ambassador. And I had never heard of him, and I looked him up because he was a new ambassador. And I thought, oh, he's quite an interesting guy. Maybe I can write a piece about him in Stand Up Paddle Mag. And I think he'd been on a paddleboard, so I messaged him and just said, look, could I? And he said, you can, but I'm just about to announce something huge. So we went. We were passing his door, and we popped in and had a chat with him. Just you know, some people you just have that affinity with, and you just get on with them, and you realise that they're a hugely decent person. And he basically told us about his plan to paddle around Great Britain, being a non-paddler. And my mind went into sort of almost free fall, you know, safety and, oh, is he going to be okay? But I wrote, so I wrote my piece about Jordan before he even started paddleboarding, which was wonderful. And we just decided, I just got absolutely invested in him as a person and as a challenge. And I think it was a daily, twice, thrice daily postings about Jordan which at the end, you know, you just think, oh, my goodness, I've invested quite a long time. But it was so worth it because, you know, he's not a, he's not a paddler. And that's in, you know, it's, it's in his words. And for him to achieve, I had no doubt that he would have completed the challenge. Absolutely no doubt. Or have raised that £100,000 that he wanted to raise because of his utter determination and some of those photographs that came out from his photographers that he had, the two of them, were insane. You know, you as a paddler who's paddled for 10 years would go, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't paddle on those seas. And I also got to paddle with him on the south coast. I offered him a room in our flat. We have a flat in New Haven, which is near Brighton. And I said, look, if you're passing by and you need a bed to sleep in, and James his media guy was with him at the time. And I went down and spent a couple of days with him and, and had my longest paddle on the sea. I'd always wanted to paddle at Beachy Head, but had never done it. And the conditions were sublime. And we paddled from, I think it was from Eastbourne to Brighton, 32K or something together. So we just paddled and chatted. And, and it made me realise that paddling could just be a pleasurable thing rather than training or yeah, so it, it was almost the first mini adventure paddle that I'd had where we were not going fast. We were not, we didn't have a a goal or an aim. We just paddled. And yeah, likewise with Brenda now, what an amazing thing to be doing and to just be doing this for other people, to make other people safe. And it's just been a joy to find people who are doing the extraordinary. Mike Shawman, who I followed in Canada and then wrote a piece on him and he's just about to do an amazing challenge in a month's time look him up he's wonderful the unbalanced paddleboarder and just yeah uh, just getting to know people who are doing extraordinary things for other people I love it and and that's who I want to write about and cover and focus on as well as the racing as well um, because I do love the live feeds so yeah it's great. It's great. I've met some amazing people through doing what we're doing. It's been wonderful. Yeah, and then it's a continued privilege of doing this as well. And I met 
Jordan on the beach not far away from here when he was sort of just passing and you know super humble guy really accommodating and doing a great thing for for an incredible cause and just to mention that he's got his book about his paddleboarding mission coming out in November and uh, he's promised to come onto the show and just have a little chat about that just before that goes live but we do forget although there are men doing this part of the chat with Jordan on on the beach was about you know thanks for doing this and holding up the end of of the blokes doing these challenges because obviously we had Charlie Head who also has been incredible but other than that it was the females who had really done those long distance paddles you know Lizzie Carr you mentioned but Cal Major and Fiona Quinn they were the first ones to really do that sort of Land's End to John O'Groats trip. So although it's the guys who are doing it at the moment, the ladies really did take the lead on that. They did, absolutely. They, they sort of set the, set the scene for the guys to follow. And uh, yeah, Cal Major is, as we speak, paddling around Scotland. Yeah, Fiona Quinn, and she's, she wrote a fantastic book as well. Mm. And Lizzie Carr, yeah. And this was, you know, a few years ago that they, they did this. I think the... I think the boys have realised that they need to play catch up and we've it's just really exciting to watch people doing those challenges that you think are slightly crazy and unachievable, but they're absolutely not. And there's a couple who are have just left at the moment actually and they're they're called Suppet and Sea and they are paddling from Land's End to John O'Groats as well. And they are a couple or a male and female. And yeah, I'm I'm following them too now and it's it's just really exciting isn't it that there's so many different aspects of paddleboarding it's not all about the racing which has dominated my world for quite a few years but it's about the adventure it's about the um sub polo it's about oh so so many other ways of paddleboarding leisure is massive as you mentioned earlier the leisure industry is massive so yeah just get out on a board and have a go at what you love. But the adventure paddling really sort of inspires me at the moment. I'm off to Scotland with the Water Skills Academy in October to do a four-day SUP expedition course, and I cannot wait. It's been postponed twice, and that will really sort of put me slightly out of my comfort zone, not a great deal, but I cannot wait to have a brand-new experience on the water just with like-minded – I think it's a, I think it's a ladies-only group, so, yeah – so it'll be really exciting. But no, the the females did the, the ladies did seem to to lead the way open for the open the door for the men to follow. So this question I'm asking for a friend, <laughs> but uh, do you find that by spending more time talking and writing about SUP, you actually spend less time on the water? And how do you manage that? <laughs> That's a great question from your friend. Yes, that that absolutely did happen. And as I say, when we decided to go to China and the whole year that that involved, uh, you know, afterwards as well and and launching Sup Junkie, I really spent most of my time in front of the computer. And that just, you know, that just wasn't what I wanted. And I realized very quickly what I needed to do to change that. So, and I have actually recently made another sort of plan. So I, I then started paddling an OC, an outrigger canoe, and I sort of stopped paddling the paddleboard for a little while because I had my new love which was my outrigger canoe and then I went back to SUP and actually I realized that that had inspired me to go back onto the SUP so it actually not I thought will I enjoy the stand-up paddleboarding anymore because I love the OC but actually it reignited my passion for stand-up paddling, paddling again so I try and get out as much as possible recently I went away to Cornwall to cover the Carvis Bay event and I actually came off social media for a week because it's very easy, as I'm sure you know, to get wrapped up in in social media. And I do realise it's not healthy. It's not good for your relationship. It's not good for your mental health. So I switched it off and it was awesome. And it just made me realise that actually I don't need to do it as much. I don't need to post as much. I don't need to be scrolling, uh, doom scrolling, as my daughter calls it. So paddling is more important and the writing I absolutely love um now don't get me wrong I don't ever want to stop that but that comes in fits and starts depending on when the magazines are coming out and I just that really really fills me with a passion because it is such a new skill 
but it means I'm writing about people that I'm very fond of or passionate about. So, so yeah, I, I think there's a balance, isn't there? You know, I'd like to do this because people love Sup Junkie and they like what we're doing. So I need to keep posting. But I have lost a couple of social media accounts this year as well because I was doing four social media accounts and I just thought I don't need to do that anymore. I need to get a, a bit more of a balance. It's It should be more about Sup Junkie than the other two. And they've been taken on by other people, so that's great. But it's just it's finding that balance, isn't it, I think, between doing what you love on the water, but also doing what you love with whatever you're doing, which might be sub FM or sub junkie. Well, that's great advice. I will uh, pass that on to my friend. Sarah, it's been fantastic chatting. Where can people find out more about you? Well, Google Sup Junkie and, and I'll probably come up. So on Facebook, we're Sup Junkie. I've got a YouTube channel, which is Sup Junkie Paddleboarding, which I generally throw up all our uh, interviews that we've ever done. So you can scroll back and, and watch. And they're all they're all pretty bite sized. So we're not talking about our interviews. You know, it's not an hour. It's five minutes or so. So you can dip in and out of that and, and meet some interesting people as we have. And SupJunkie.uk on Instagram. Obviously, I'm Sarah. Thornley as well so I've got a couple of accounts but if you want to follow Sup Junkie uh, and also follow uh, GB Sup which is the national race series for Great Britain so there's always a lot of stuff being posted on there if you're particularly interested in racing as well yeah so that's me Sup Junkie I am Sup Junkie I get called Sup Junkie but that's I'm quite happy with that so you are definitely sub junkie. Sarah, thanks so much for, for your time today and also for your investment in the sport, your massive contribution. I look forward to uh, to seeing your continued journey and obviously keep up with all the, your live streams. But uh, thanks for appearing on Sup FM. Well, thank you, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure. And I, yeah, big up to you guys for doing what you're doing as well. It's been a joy to listen to some of your interviews and um, promoting all the good things in SUP. Yeah, it, it's been a pleasure. So thank you very much for having me on your show. Well, thank you to Sarah for that great chat. And all the details are in the show notes. Now, if you want to support the podcast and help us keep the lights on, then we've just opened up on Patreon. So if you can spare the price of a cup of coffee a month, then it will really help us offset some of the running costs of the podcast. And if you enjoy the show, and if you're able to help out, you can contribute over at patreon.com forward slash SUPFM podcast, and the link is in the show notes. Mahalo, thanks for listening, and until next week, I'll see you on the water.